kids, you are dismissed to children's ministry. Speaking of children's ministry, um, the shirt that I'm wearing, uh, our children's minister, Karina, uh, also helps with our youth group with her husband, Dwayne Jackson, and they got these shirts made for our youth, uh, our misfit shirts. And so Karen managed to get one from them for us and her. So we've got the youth group shirts. But so many of you have said, I want one of those misfit shirts. And we need to raise some money for our youth group so they can do lots of fun stuff. So we thought maybe we'll sell you some of these. So in the coming weeks, be looking for those out in the lobby. I don't know. They'll be like 20 or 25 bucks, which is way overpriced. But that's because most of that money is going to our youth group. So, so you're going to have an opportunity to get you a misfit shirt so you can recognize as one of the misfits because that is kind of our slogan here at Refuge. We know that we are broken, messed up misfits, but we're the Messiah's misfits. So welcome again. Again, we're doing 50 days of Easter because it needs its own season. Let me give you a catch-up, kind of where we are in the story. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died for humanity. He went to the tomb, but the tomb is empty. Jesus has risen. And so last week, we looked at Jesus' appearances to the disciples. He's now had two appearances to those disciples. The first one, he's there, and there's only ten disciples. We know Judas, where he's not, why he's not there. Uh, but Thomas isn't there either. Jesus shows them his scars, and they believe, and they have a meal together. But Thomas wasn't there, and so he wants to see Jesus. He wants to believe, but he needs to see the scars. And Jesus, in divine patience, shows up and shows Thomas's scars, in which Thomas then declares, My Lord... My king and my God, which is the most bold proclamation that we get in the entirety of the Gospels. This week, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke, where we've been since before Christmas. And we're going to turn the page to the Gospel of John, because that's where we find the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. And so if you're reading along, it's John chapter 20. If you're using the Bible app, I'm using the NLT translation. If you don't have that, the words are going to be up on the screen for you tonight. And we're just going to go verse by verse, mostly through this chapter. Uh, verse 1 says, later. We don't know how long later, but he appeared to him once, appeared to him twice. It says later. So it's somewhere between one day later and 40 days later, because we know Jesus spent 40 days appearing to people. It says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. So what's happened here is the disciples have now gone back home. The Passover festival is over. They've left the big metropolis of Jerusalem. They've seen that Jesus is alive. The pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. And they've now returned home to await further instruction. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, some think this is Peter going back to his old career. We know that he was a fisherman. That's where Jesus found him. That's where Jesus called him. I don't think this is Peter, though, attempting to go back to his old career because he knows that he has a special work to do for Jesus. But Peter is not a guy that enjoys sitting around. He's a bit hyperactive. He gets bored easily. He loves to go fishing. He misses fishing, hasn't done it in a long time. He spent a lot of time with these other disciples, and so maybe he's ready to get away from them. So he says, I'm going fishing. Next verse says, we'll come too. So much for getting away from them. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night, which would summarize the vast majority of my fishing trips. Not the ones I post on Facebook, because I look awesome when I post those, but the 90% of the others that I don't post, they caught nothing all day or night would be me. Verse 4, it says, at dawn, they've been fishing all night, at dawn, they're coming back to shore, and Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? 
No, they replied, thanks for rubbing it in. Verse 6, they said, Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now, if you've been around a bit, you should be thinking, hmm, that, that sounds familiar. The disciples should be thinking, that sounds familiar. So they take the net, they throw it out on the right-hand side of the boat, and it says they couldn't haul the net in because there were so many fish in the net. It says, then the disciple who loved, or disciple Jesus loved, which is John's favorite nickname for himself, which I always find amusing, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, uh, I remember this miracle, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, and John puts in parentheses, for he had stripped for work. I love John's writing style. It's my favorite gospel to read of all of them. He's got a very unique writing style, and one of those things is he does these parenthetical asides to kind of fill us in on the details as if we didn't know what was going on. And here he wants to make sure that we know that Peter is not a nudist or a naturist or whatever you call it, that he's taking his clothes off for work. In the translation, it could be that he was fully nude. We don't know if they fish that way or he's wearing his tidy whities It's the same word either way. But he's out there, he's fishing, he's stripped off, he jumps in the water and headed to shore. Verse 8 says, The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net from the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. I, I crack up when I read that. I don't know if you sense John's sarcasm here. He's like, you know, the rest of us just caught this fish we did the responsible thing and made sure we got the fish that Jesus provided into the shore. I mean, we're only 100 yards away. You could have waited a few minutes, Peter. Verse 9 says, When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard. Now he's doing some work. Dragged the net to the shore. There were 53 large fish. Uh, 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Anybody know um, the significance of 153 fish, why that's the particular number? It's because it's a lot of fish, and they... <laughs> when you catch a lot of fish, you count the fish, and you tell everybody about how many fish that you caught. I can just see, like, Peter over there going, one, two, three, just counting them off. It says... Verse 14, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Third time. You know what Peter hasn't addressed in any of those appearances? It's the elephant in the room. That when Jesus needed his disciples the most, they abandoned him. They weren't to be found. That's the elephant in the room. And so Peter, and, and really all of them, I would imagine are still dealing with some unresolved guilt. I mean, I said I would die for Jesus, but a little teenage girl came up and asked me if I knew him and I said, I've never met the man. So there's a little guilt going on, I would imagine. Verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I've read this story a few times, and I've always kind of envisioned this scene that, you know, the breakfast is over, everybody's got their belly full with fish and bread, and it's Peter and Jesus, they're walking on the beach, there's a beautiful sunrise, and, you know, leaving footprints in the sand, and, you know, it's the perfect golden light at, at sunlight, and we put it on a Hallmark card or whatever. <laughs> that's how we envision this, but that's not really what the text says. It just says, after breakfast. 
And so most likely, like a lot of meals, if you've had people over to your house and you're having a meal and you're, you're talking with friends, you've got your bellies full, you're enjoying each other's companies, you're sharing stories, you're telling jokes, you're, you're saying, did you get the vaccine? I don't know. Are you getting the vaccine? And you're just having this conversation. That seems to be the conversation we have with everybody we go to dinner with right now. And they're having these conversations and they're just talking and they're laughing and Jesus turns to Simon and he says, do you love me more than these? Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Now, Peter could be a little confused on the question. He could be thinking, do you love me more than you love these other guys? And Peter's like, heck, yeah, those guys I can barely stand. I tried to go fishing without them. They won't leave me alone. You bet I love you more than these. Or he might be thinking, Jesus saying, do you love me more than the other guys love me? And, of course, Peter is very confident in himself, and he says, absolutely. Either way, it's that confidence in his love for Jesus, but it's just like he was overconfident when he abandoned Jesus. He's got this very confident in his love, just like he was overconfident when he abandoned Jesus. So if I ask you that question tonight, do you love Jesus more than anything? That was the question you had to answer tonight. How would you answer it? And imagine, you know, your friends are kind of sitting around watching this, this scene unfold, and I ask you the question, you're like, yes, because obviously you're in church. That's the right thing to say. And you just give the pat answer, of course, I love Jesus more than anything in the world. What if Jesus showed up here tonight? He said, do you love me more than anything else in your life? And if you've said yes, and you still might say yes, I think all of us would know deep down inside, just doing some very surface-level introspection, that you'd know that answer wasn't fully true. That sometimes your devotion and your commitment to others is greater than your devotion to Jesus, whether that others is stuff or people or whatever. That you show a lot more affection towards other people and things often than you show affection and love towards Jesus. I mean, some of us spend all of our time thinking about the ins and outs of politics a lot more than Jesus. Some of our love our, our most favorite sports team, and we spend way more time on Twitter checking them out than we do in the Bible checking out this person we supposedly love. Maybe it's our career and our jobs. Maybe it's our hobbies, or maybe it's our kids and family, or maybe it's success that we, we love more, comfort, or apathy. Often, we're blinded, I think, by our lack of love for Jesus until it's exposed. There's a story of love exposure in Mark chapter 10. It's the story of the rich young ruler, and he's this young guy, and he comes to Jesus, and by all accounts, he's a pretty good guy, and he's like, Jesus, I, I've been watching you. I've been seeing your ministry. I'm all about Jesus. What do, what do I have to do? And Jesus just quotes him the law. He says, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat on your wife. The rich ruler says, man, I'm, I'm good. I've been doing that, Jesus, since I was a kid. In verse 21 in Mark, it says, looking at that man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And so Jesus is, is welled up with love for this man, but he's about to give him some tough love, not to hurt the man, not because he doesn't love him, but precisely because he does love him. He gives him this tough love. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. 
Let me be clear, selling your poor and giving all your, or selling your possessions and giving them all to the poor isn't a commandment. It's not what all of us are called to do, so we don't need to do that. But an unwillingness, if asked by Jesus to do that, exposes your love. It exposes where your affections, where your devotions belong. Everyone here loves Jesus. I'm going to go with that assumption. But what do you still love more than Jesus? If we follow the story, you can start by asking, well, what am I unwilling to give up for Jesus? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter's like, of course, Jesus, you know I love you. He's just very quick with his answer. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. So Jesus is connecting love for him with obedience to him. Of course, that's a fairly basic concept. If you love someone, you want to please them, you want to do what they ask. It's a very biblical concept. This is nothing new. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's pretty basic stuff. We can know the depth of our love for Jesus by what we consistently, not perfectly, but consistently do and don't do. Of course, the essence of love is not just merely actions. 24 years ago, Karen and I got married, or it'll be 24 years next month, and on an anniversary, I would imagine it's a nice thing to do to get your wife flowers, and I try to do that most years, and uh, it would be nice if I got her tulips, because that is her favorite flower, if anybody's wondering, and it would be best if I got those tulips on sale, because she would be very disappointed in me if I paid full price for those tulips. She would be angry and say, you shouldn't have gotten me those. Wait till they're on sale, even if it's May 18th and not the 24th or whatever. But if I gave her those flowers and said, here you go. Here's those tulips. I have fulfilled my obligation to you as a husband. That's not love. If I said, here's your tulips, and yes, I did get them on sale, so now you owe me. What do you got for me? (laughs) That's also not love. I mean, I could buy Karen a new car and say, here's a new car. Are you happy now? Three months in Hawaii, have I fulfilled my duties as a husband? (laughs) But that's still not love unless I do all of those things out of my love for her. See, love and obedience, and we know this, is connected. But they're not the same thing. Love is cherishing. Love is treasuring Christ. Obedience is doing what Jesus says. And when we get those mixed up, bad things like legalism and religion happen because we have the connection wrong between the two. God wired us. It's in our DNA to show our love by serving what we treasure. Give you an example. How you love yourself is how you serve yourself. And that could be good or that could be bad in, in how you serve yourself. How you love your spouse, how you love your children, your friends, your pastor, even your pets, your church, is evident by how you serve your spouse, your children, your pets, and your church, or how you neglect your friends and your pastor and your pets and your church. Human love is pretty easy to detect. We wear our love on our sleeves, and again, that's because that's how God designed us. And so we can fool others for a while with our love and our affections, or we can even fool ourselves along the way. But if you get in a committed relationship with Jesus, he has a way of exposing your love and affection. And so verse 16, Jesus repeats the question to Simon. He says, Simon, notice he's not using his name Peter here. He's using his original name, Simon. Kind of when he's talking softly to Simon, that's what he does. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time he's heard the question, 
Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus gives the same answer. He says, then take care of my sheep. A third time it says he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The story changes here, though. It says Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Now, there's the obvious significance here, and all commentators agree with Jesus asking this question three times. It's a clear reference back to the three-time denial and the rooster crowing. And so, whether it's a realization of that, or it's because Jesus keeps asking him the same question over and over because he doesn't obviously believe Peter's answer, we're told simply that Peter was hurt. Hurt. That's the emotion he feels when his lack of love for Jesus is exposed. Hurt. Not remorse, not repentance. He feels hurt. And I think more often than not, that feeling of hurt is self-centered. It's a self-focused emotion that can uh, expose our love and our affection. I debated on sharing this story, but because we talked about being vulnerable with our scars last week, and, and listen, I don't put this in the scar category. I put it in the paper cut category, probably more so. But I was hurt last week because we came into this place I skipped my daughter's uh, homecoming, so I didn't get to take pictures before and stuff because I care about this church and care about serving God. I showed up here, and, you know, there weren't a lot of people here for our worship gathering last week. And I left here, and I was hurt, and I carried that hurt with me through a big part of the week. And I complained about you guys as a whole and talked about how you think church is a low priority. You'll show up to church if it's the last thing on your list and and if something else doesn't come up ahead of it. Talked about lack of commitment with people, and and that, that turned into a societal lack of commitment, how our whole country just sucks because there is no commitment in this country. That's what my hurt, that's the path that let me down. Because whether there's 100 people here or or 1,000 people here or 10 people here, it's the same amount of work on my part to put a sermon together and music together and whatever. And so I struggled. By by Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm starting to write a sermon. I'm struggling because I'm like, what's the point? not going to make anybody show up anywhere. They're not committed. And I even began to devise a plan, embarrassed to say, that that I was just going to skip this week. Like, and not tell anybody. Like, see how everybody else liked it if, if you cleared your schedule on a Saturday night and I didn't show up to preach to you. That's ugly stuff. So I'm just being honest and vulnerable, and it's ugly. I was hurt and exposed a lot of things about my heart. It exposed my motivations, but most of all, it exposed my affection and my devotion. Because I should be here simply because I'm here to serve Jesus. And I was reminded that Scott Morrison, who's not here tonight, uh, him and Jordan are at a weightlifting event, but he texted me to say, hey, I'm not going to be there this week. I'm like, man, thanks for doing that. I just, I just appreciate you letting me know. And, you know, I text back with him a little bit of my frustration with, with humanity's lack of commitment. And then he said, let me remind you of something someone once told me, that someone being you, when I was venting my frustrations. Scott uh, handles all of our recovery ministries here, and he says the hour before each recovery uh, ministry that they have, like, or event that they have, he'll get a thousand texts of people saying all the, the lame excuses that they can't be here. And he was once expressing those frustrations to me. And he said, you know, you told me if you aren't doing it, if you aren't serving, if you aren't in ministry simply because you love Jesus, you'll always be disappointed and hurt. If you're not doing it for any other reason than serving Jesus, you will always be disappointed and hurt. Your heart will be exposed. Peter's heart has been exposed. 
He's figured out what Jesus is doing here. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, 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 of course I love you, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know, I love you, Lord. I just jumped off of a boat and swam 100 yards to be with you. You know, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Oh, that's right. You saw that. You saw that. You saw me at my lowest. You saw how quickly my affections turned to comfort and safety. He says, Lord, you know everything. You can feel Peter's pain in that statement. I could feel that pain this week when my heart was exposed, that feeling of inadequacy, that my love is very imperfect. And on top of this, for Peter, the other disciples are watching this all unfold and his heart being exposed. And he simply responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I'll give a sidebar here. Um, a lot of people think um, in this story there's two different uses of the Greek word for love. There's the agape love and the filio love, and it's like unconditional love versus brotherly love. And, and they go through this and point out how it changes and, and progresses as you go through it. Um, there may be something there to that. I'm not saying that there isn't, but those two words in John's gospel, he uses them constantly interchangeably as if they're the same word. So I don't want to get too far off into the weeds with that. What I want to see it's just the pattern of Jesus. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. And Jesus immediately always turns to, then feed my sheep. Jesus' intent here isn't to embarrass Peter. His intent isn't to add on more guilt. It's not to beat him into submission so that he'll love him because we know that never works. Jesus is a master counselor. He doesn't want Peter's failure to haunt him for the rest of his life, and so he wants to restore Peter. Peter is going to be a lead. Peter's going to be the leader, the primary leader of a new thing called a church. And I think that's why, in my opinion, he's playing this out in front of the other disciples, because he's trying to give Peter the credibility and the authority he's going to need to lead. Peter has failed Jesus. And so Jesus has every right to say, Oops, pick the bad one with that Peter. He's almost as bad as, as that Judas guy. Perhaps next time I'll, I'll let the disciples do the job interviewing because I picked the wrong people. And Jesus doesn't say, Peter, <laughs> you suck. You say you love me, but your actions don't match your values, which is the counseling advice Karen gave me this week. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you're off the team. Jesus' grace just overflows three times. Here in this story, he's giving Peter an opportunity to affirm his love. Yes, Lord, I love you. Three times he's given Peter an opportunity to do that through word and through deed. My grandma Ruth, she was a devout Christian woman, and so I had that example in my life as a child. She's very musical. She played the piano amazingly. And her favorite song was, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Does anybody know the old hymn, Oh, How I Love Jesus? Uh, we were in Indiana a few years back for a family reunion, and we're gathered in their small little rural church. And I mean, the church is smaller than this. It might hold 30, 40 people, but everybody was packed in. My dad had nine or 10 brothers and sisters or 11. He had a lot of them. I don't know, but we're all packed in there. And they're asking people to come up and sing songs, grandma's favorite songs. And so my dad and his brothers do a beautiful acapella type thing. And then they ask the grandkids to come up. And I'm one of the grandkids, of course. And, you know, I'm like, 40 years old, and I go up, and we're going to sing Grandma Ruth's favorite song. 
But I didn't grow up as a Christian. I don't know the old hymns. And I don't know if you've ever tried to fake singing a song in front of people where you don't know the melody or you don't know the lyrics, but it's awkward. And there wasn't a slide to tell us the lyrics because this church didn't even have electricity in it. So here we go. And they start singing this song. But I did quickly pick up on the chorus because it's pretty simple. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. What? Because he first loved me. Man, what a beautiful, grace-filled message. Profound in its truth. God's love for us always, always, always precedes our love for him. Jesus' obedience to us always precedes our obedience to him. John, uh, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus cried, laid, Christ laid down his life for us. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Real love, sacrificial love, unconditional love was shown on the cross, Hebrews says, by the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is giving Peter more than a chance just to say, I love you. He's giving him just a very clear-cut way to express that love. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Simple words. John chapter 10, verse 11, this is Jesus speaking again. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus is the capital S shepherd. And the Bible says a lot of things about our shepherd. It says our shepherd is never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. It's never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. The Bible does say that in so many words. So does Rick Astley, (laughs) if you grew up in my time period. Jesus is the good, capital S, shepherd. But he says we can show our love to our shepherd by being little s shepherds and feeding his sheep, the sheep he purchased with his blood. Now, over the history of the church, some have seen this command as a specific command to Peter. Peter, feed my sheep. You're going to be the super epic leader guy. You're going to be the pope or whatever. You're the guy that's supposed to feed the sheep. Our Protestants, we say, no, no, Peter, you know, wasn't the super epic leader guy. But we've taken it and said, it's the pastor's job. It's the leader's job in the church that we pay to feed the sheep. We pay you to make sure the sheep are fed. And you all know I strongly disagree with that. If you think it's my responsibility to make sure the sheep of refuge are fed, well, you've showed up at the wrong church, number one, because you don't pay me. I do this because I love Jesus on most weeks, and then sometimes other stuff filters through that. I need need to be reminded. But number two, and more importantly, the sheep would starve, because last time I checked, sheep need to be fed more than one day a week, or less than that. So let me feed you a little bit tonight, a little bit of meat, because the Bible is where the meat comes from that you eat. And so let me show you in the Bible how we feed each other. John chapter 10 or chapter 13, it says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers, all of them, met together in one place and shared everything they had. That means everything they had. 1 Corinthians 14 When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation from God. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret. Everybody's sharing. Romans chapter 1, verse 12. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but also 
I want to be encouraged by yours. Romans 14, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Colossians 3.16, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. And then he says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. 1 Thessalonians 5, we looked at in the fall, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Hebrews 3 says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 30, one of my favorites, we are all in this struggle together. We are all in this struggle together. Jesus says, do you love me? I say, yes, Lord. Also, Jesus says, had you fed any sheep this week? And we say, I'm, I'm sure I fed some sheep this week. I mean, I know I meant to feed some sheep this week. Jesus asks a second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says to us again, have you fed any sheep lately? Well, yeah, no names are coming to mind. I remember that time a few years back I went to Haiti and I fed some of your sheep. That should cover it, right? Jesus, a third time, do you love me? And we have to say, Lord, you know everything. I got busy. My heart was corrupted. I felt too inadequate to feed sheep. Lord, I'm dealing with my own stuff right now. It's really bad timing. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. How often do we come here, all of us, all of us, on Saturday night, we sing these songs to express our love for Jesus? And I think we do. I think we leave here with the best of intentions only to, again, we, all of us, to be hypocrites through the week. Or we make those excuses, you know, I tried to feed a sheep once and the damn thing bit me. <laughs> we sang that song, you call me out beyond the shore into the waves. Boy, that's a nice line of a song. That's a hard line of a song to live out. Jesus wants Peter to know that feeding sheep it can't be dangerous. Looks what We missed this part of the story, but look what he tells Peter after the three times he says, I love you, and then he says, feed my sheep. And then he says this, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And in case he didn't know what Jesus was getting at here, Jesus says to him, this to him, to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Peter's going to die on a cross just like Jesus did. That's what he's letting him know here. And then Jesus finishes with it with another way of saying, feed my sheep. He says, follow me. When we follow Jesus, we feed sheep. So at the end of the day, what's Peter going to get for this feeding of sheep? Is he going to get health? Is he going to get wealth? Is he going to get blessings for his plans? Is he going to actualize his potential? Nah, he's going to be crucified. It's a pretty sobering thought. But you know what Jesus did by telling him that? He's actually giving Peter the right kind of confidence. The confidence he was going to need to persevere. I mean, Peter is going to be a leader in this church and later, the religious leaders are going to go to Peter, and they're going to tell him, you've got to stop preaching that gospel. You've got to stop feeding those brainwashed sheep with this Jesus nonsense, or we're going to arrest you, we're going to persecute you, we're going to make you suffer. But Peter has gained the appropriate kind of confidence. He says, yeah, I know, Jesus already told me I'm going to be crucified, and he don't lie, so I've accepted it. So I'm not worried about what you're going to do to me. 
I mean, what a change for Peter. Up until that time, he lived in the fear of men. That's why he abandoned and betrayed Jesus. He was afraid of suffering. He was afraid of rejection. But as he was confronted with Jesus' love for him, as he experienced Jesus' grace restoring him, as he learned to pour his affection and his devotion out onto the feet of Jesus, the relationship between Peter and Jesus, it changed, which meant everything for Peter changed. Often hear somebody say, you know, I had this situation, they're part of a church, and said, I had this terrible situation happen to me and nobody was there for me. That sucks. I mean, it, it truly does. But sometimes, again, if I'm being vulnerable, I want to respond, yeah, that sucks. But who have you shown up for? I'm sorry nobody's visited you in the hospital, but when did you show up to visit somebody in the hospital? I'm sorry nobody greeted you the first time you visited the church, but who have you greeted when they visited the church and looked out of place? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I mean, G Peter, Jesus does call us to be fishers of men. That's a, that's a different illustration. That's feeding those outside the flock, and that's turning, if you will, fish into sheep. And that's a different illustration, a different sermon, and we're going to get to that. But this command to feed sheep is for feeding those who are already in God's flock. It's for tending to those in God's flock. It's for caring to those in God's flock. And so Jesus says to you, do you love me? Open up your home for a meal with other believers. Man, the easiest thing in the world. No pressure. Just eat a meal together and have a conversation. Do you love me? I mean, start a Bible study for those little sheep that God's entrusted to you that are seven or eight years old in your home. Do you love me? Who's not here tonight? Who's hungry? What sheep are out there starving somewhere, and how can you reach out and feed them? Yeah, sometimes the sheep are going to bite. And sometimes they'll turn up their nose at the food you bring to them. And sometimes, I saw that video, Jeff Holloman and a few others uh, shared this week, the sheep will get stuck its head into a cliff, and you'll pull it out, and it'll walk into another hole, and sheep will starve to death, and it'll let a wolf into the pen. Sheep are difficult animals. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed them anyway. There are a lot of sheep who are hungry. And when I say that, I mean all of us, because we're all sheep, and we're all hungry. But there seemed to be very few people concerned about feeding them. If I had to narrow Christianity down to one thing, it's really this four-word question from Jesus. Do you love me? Do you? Does your devotion to the sheep of Jesus back up your professed love for Jesus? Do you feed sheep, but it's only out of obligation like me last week? Okay, Jesus, I did what you asked. Are you happy now? And that's certainly not love for Jesus. I mean, there are a lot of times I feel like Peter. I relate to Peter. I know my love is inadequate. I know that I fall short. I do get tired of being bitten by sheep because it hurts. There are days I would rather abandon Jesus than to have to deal with another one of his dumb sheep. Jesus knows this about me. Jesus knows this about you. Jesus knew this about Peter. And as Jesus told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Over the course of Peter's life, from this point forward, there are going to be many trials. He's still going to fail time and time again. 
But each time Peter goes forward and he feeds sheep, his confidence grows, and his confidence mostly in God's grace is what grows. And so there's a letter he wrote near the end of his life, 1 Peter, and in chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, for feeding those sheep, and being sober-minded, being aware of what you're saying and what you're doing, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. I want to close tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I just want to close by singing a song of love to Jesus. And as we sing, I just ask, think of your affections. Think of what you're devoted to. Think of the things that pull you away from Jesus. Think of the things that be hard for you to give up if Jesus were asked you to give that up. That could be sin. That could be something you're striving for, something you've obtained in life. And then see the grace that Jesus has given you. See, the, see him restoring you. And then hear Jesus respond, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so the last thing as we sing, just try to think of some sheep in your life that you can feed. Let's sing.